With me in your Bibles today to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> this will be the 33rd message in the series on the whole counsel of God as we're going through the scriptures and dealing with every major doctrine found in the pages of God's Word. And it will be the second message on the subject of the holiness of God. Last Sunday, we discussed this subject of the holiness of God, and we found out that the holiness of God is basically that which God delights in and that which he despises. That is, that our God is a God which delights in all righteousness, and he despises all unrighteousness. And because of this, then, Today we read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, these words. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation or behavior. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And the holiness of God, being that which God delights in, and that which he despises, then we, being made in his holy image, are also to delight in that which God delights in, and are to despise that which God despises. So this is our duty that we have before God and our fellow man, that we love that which is good and despise that which is evil. I want us to examine this, make some applications of it in our lives today, this practical aspect of personal holiness. And if you were here last week, we defined a little bit further what we mean by holiness. We did not define it, as many do today, that holiness is merely the doing or the abstaining from certain no-nos that we have developed and have put in with the Ten Commandments of God. But the holiness of man or the holiness of God is involved in the law of God, which is contained in the Ten Commandments of how that we're to live before God and how that we are to treat our fellow man. And this is what is involved in God's holiness. Many times, because of certain cultures, certain customs, and certain sections of the world, then people have particular likes and dislikes, and then they attach those things to the gospel of God, and thereby they become now, this is part of God's duty for all men. And that just isn't the case. Now, I have some reasons for not doing some things, and I have some reasons for doing certain things, but it's not because that God forgot to leave them out of the Bible. God gave us ten holy rules, and we go by those. And whether the other things that involve the eating of meats, whether that this man right here thinks it's all right to eat pork, and I don't think it's all right, which incidentally I, uh, I think there's nothing wrong with it today, then we're not going to have a knockdown drag out over it, whether that that is God's duty for man, because God has set forth his duty in his holy law, and we must stay with that. 
And if he thinks it's wrong for me to go a certain place, and I think it's all right for me to go there, then we're not going to let his conscience impose upon mine, and I'm not going to impose upon his. Because we have certain freedoms in the Lord, but yet at the same time, when we come down now to this exhortation, God says to his people, you be holy because I am holy. Then let's leave it right where God leaves it, that which he has revealed in his holy law. Now then, because of this, let's make some applications now today in the fact that if we have the holiness of God for an example, then we are to walk for that. Now how can this first of all reprove men? If man was made in the image of God, then he was made as a higher being than that of an animal. I'm not a horse, I'm not a cow, I'm not that of the lower form of God's creation. I have been made in the image of God as a rational being with a mind to think, a heart to desire with, and a will to will with. And therefore I am to use these rational faculties in my relationship to God. Then how, if God is holy, how can this stand as a reproof to those who are members of the human race? It stands as a reproof, first of all, for those who would scoff at and would scorn the holiness of God. It stands as a reproof for those who would say, God, I don't care what your will is, what you have said in the Bible is my duty, I'm going to do what I want to do. Now, as vultures hate the odors of pure perfume and would rather have that which is nauseating, so some members of the race of man would rather have unrighteousness than the righteousness which is in God's holy will. And whether they, they, wherever they see this coming from, they may see it as they read the Bible and they see that God has said, now this is what I love and this is what I despise. And they would say, I don't care what you love, I don't love that, therefore stay away from me, and thereby they despise God. But the world or the unbeliever will also despise the saint of God. Jesus said that he had come into the world as a light, and yet men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And the world of unbelievers, now hear me, will not love to be around a godly Christian who's walking with the Lord. Now you can put that down. If you are going to live according to God's holy will as revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ in the gospel, it won't be long until you're going to find that fewer and fewer of the people that you associate with just don't come around as often anymore. Now, there's a reason for that, because they do not have the same likes and dislikes as you. And so the world scorns holiness. By that, again, we mean that they do not love to be around those who like to do what God likes or love what God likes and despises what he despises. Jesus was telling his disciples one day about persecution by the unbelieving world, and he said, the world will hate you. But he says, it's doing so only because it hated me. 
Do you realize, beloved, why Jesus Christ was nailed on the cross? Jesus said one day, for which of these works do you stone me? Here I have healed your eyes, I have healed your ears, I have caused the lame to walk, I have even raised the dead. What have I done wrong that has displeased you? And you read through the account of the gospel and you'll see that it was the radiating light of his submitted will to God which stood out that other men would not desire to fellowship and to walk with him. The Bible says that Jesus was recorded of him, I come to do thy will, O God. Now, that's holiness. It's just a delighting in the revealed will of God for your life. And Jesus loved that. And if we are converted, then we are being restored into that image. When God created man in the garden, he gave him a perfect image. But man distorted that image through sin fell down to worshiping and loving himself, and now through the gospel man is converted and is being restored to the will of God, or doing the will of God. Now that's what Jesus came to do. And if you will do the will of God and live the way that God has set forth to you, you have a promise, there'll be great joy in it, but there also is said, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You're going to have people misunderstand you. They're not going to bear with you and so forth. And even among God's people, this is going to take place. So you have to go on and do what is the right thing to do as you know best. Set out to do the will of God. I believe that there's no greater sign or evidence of a person who has dedicated themselves to destruction at the hands of God than a person who is dominated by a hatred of the things in which God loves. Now, you think about that for a moment. Show me a person that doesn't love what God loves, and yet, at the same time, he hates those things which God loves. And I'll show you a person who is dedicated to his own self-destruction. If we are to be like God, it is because of who and what God is. Now, how, what instruction can we receive from this? Not only can it serve as a rebuke to the unbeliever, but what instruction can we receive from the fact that if God be holy, then we are to be holy also? The first thing is that we can see this, that holiness or conformity to the will of God is the end design in the election of grace. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, some people often ask me this question. It's a good question. Pastor, why does God save a sinner? Now, there are many reasons, but there's one primary reason why God has saved you here this morning, if you are saved. And that is this. Now, listen carefully. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. You see that? Why did God choose you to be a recipient of the mercy of Jesus Christ? Notice, it wasn't because you were holy. It wasn't because you were blameless. And that's what made you different than all the other members of the race. But because God chose you, he did with an end result in mind 
that you might become like him or holy and before him in a blameless state in love. So holiness is the end design of our personal election. Now listen again to Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Christ. We could take scripture after scripture here, if time would permit, to show us that the reason why God has saved a sinner is that they might be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, which is a holy image, which is an image that would say, I delight to do thy will, O God. I trust that you can say that today. I trust that you can find that within your own bosom there is a delight in those things which God delights in. Then again, another instruction that we can receive from this teaching on the holiness of God and our own personal holiness is that our holiness of life is the only thing which distinguishes us from the unbelieving, reprobate part of the world or the world of unbelievers. You may turn with me if you want to in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 19. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 19. There was in this particular chapter a great seemingly disorder of events. The Christians were discouraged. Several of them had departed from the profession of faith in Christ, and it was causing some of them to wonder, well, what was going on? And so Paul gives Timothy, the young preacher, these words of assurance. Listen in 2 Timothy 2.19. The foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. Now, did you get that? In a world that is chaotic and it seems like there's nothing stable, here is the sure foundation. It's God's seal. Now, notice, the Lord knoweth them that are his. Now, look at the other part of the seal. And let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Now there you have both sides of the coin. Any coin has a head or a tail, we might call it, but it's one coin. Now here is the one work of God. Known unto God are his people, and he alone can only truly know that. You and I cannot be the determinant or final judge of that matter. In fact, we're told in the Bible that there are going to be some which are even going to come up right to the throne itself, believing that they have a right to enter heaven, and yet Jesus will say, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. But yet on the other side of the coin, now notice this side, God knows those who are his. Now, on the other side, let every one of us that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Now, that's simply but saying this. Let us cease doing that which God does not want to happen, and let us start doing that which God delights in. Depart from sin. Submit ourselves unto the will of God. This is the great evidence. This is the great distinguishing factor between a believer and an unbeliever is one God only knows who his people are. But 
If we name the name of Christ and claim that we're one of his people, then let us be departing from self-love and let us submit ourselves unto the love of God in Christ Jesus, whereby we can say, I delight to do thy will, O God. So God help us to do this. This is the distinguishing mark of a Christian or a holy life is a person who delights in what God delights in. Well, you say, Pastor, now this is all well and good, but I have a problem. I know you do, because you're in the flesh. And you've told us about the law of God, and you've told us our duty to God. But I find a difficulty in the performance of my duty. I know you do. You're not alone. Because every member of Adam's race has this difficulty or this problem. Now, what's wrong with the law of God? What's wrong with the duty which God gives us? And Paul would tell us there's nothing wrong with it. The law is holy, just, and good. But he does tell us there's one major weakness in God giving us a duty. And that is that within the sinful flesh, there is not the ability of man to perform his duty. And that's where the gospel of Jesus Christ comes in. Because it is through the gospel that we have the holiness of God imparted to us and the granting of the ability to do his will. God may put before Jim Gables ten commandments. And he may say, now, Jim Gables, here, this is your duty. Keep those commandments. But there's one thing that is falling short that prevents me from doing so, and that is my own sinful flesh and my inability to do that which God sets forth as my duty. And yet he's going to hold me accountable for it. So what on earth is my hope? Simply instead of having the external commandments written on a, on a piece of paper and given me my duty, God promises to every repentant and believing sinner that he will come and write within our hearts by the ministry of the Holy Spirit the desire to do the things which God has set forth as our duty. And so as we're struggling through this life and the Spirit is warring against the flesh, our only hope is not the flesh. Our only hope is not in my ability, my willingness, or my strength to be enabled to live as God would have me to live, but it's through the gospel. Now, how does that, how is that conveyed? All right, now listen carefully. John chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus prays for his people. Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. Now, sanctification is the setting apart unto God. We talk about the Holy Spirit. Why is he called the Holy Spirit? Because his work is set apart unto the will of God. You look through your Bible and you'll find every reference in the Bible to something that is holy. You'll find it has not become holy until, first of all, it has been dedicated or set apart for God's use and for his purposes. 
You talk about the holiness of the ark of God in the Old Testament. That little old box there contained nothing about it that was holy. It was made by man. But God gave the dimensions of it, and man brought it into in obedience to God, and it was set apart as the meeting place between God and man. We talk about the holiness of the priest. And all the way through the Bible, there's many terms that is used as holy. But, beloved, do you realize this morning that if you have been made a partaker of Jesus Christ, you are called in the Bible a saint or a sanctified one? Now, what is a sanctified person? It is a person whom God has stepped down and he has taken and he has set apart to be like unto him. And that great work is applied through the gospel. Sanctify them through the wo- thy truth, thy word is truth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, sanctification is not just all positional, but it is also experimental also, so that we have a progression in our sanctification. 2 Corinthians 3.18 that we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. You remember last Sunday? Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the seraphims cried, Holy, 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 the whole earth is full of his father, his glory. Now look as Paul explains how we become like God then. As we behold the person and work of Jesus Christ, and we see who he is, the Lord, and we see what he came to do, to give himself on behalf of repentant and believing sinners, as we look in that mirror and we see ourselves Through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we are changed from one degree of glory into another until finally we are perfected, but not in this state. Only that experimental state comes in the eternal state. But how, if you have a desire for holiness, how can you become more holy? Do you want holiness? Then how can you be more like God? There's only one way. And that is through coming to the person and work of Jesus Christ daily, understanding more of him, so that enables you to become more like him as the Holy Spirit imparts this knowledge and this desire to be like him. Now listen, you're not going to become more like Jesus and avoiding more understanding of him. I... I'm amazed today at what our American Christianity has come to in that so many people that think that becoming a Christian, all that a Christian is, is someone who goes to church, sings a song, and listens to a preacher preach. And that's about the extent of what a Christian is. Beloved, if that's all Christianity was... (laughs) I'd have gotten bored stiff 10 years or 15, 20 years ago. Christianity is not just going through external acts. It is becoming acquainted with the incarnate Son of God. And, beloved, you don't know all there is to know about Him yet. 
Now, maybe if you've developed that or you've already attained that, I'd like to talk with you about the services and find out how you've done it. But you haven't even scratched the surface of what there is to know about the person and the work of Jesus Christ, God's only Son. And it is as we get in and begin to study and meditate and prayerfully reflect upon our duty that we then see our need, which, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, drives us to that gospel, and we lay hold on it afresh and anew, whereby then we are changed from one degree of God's will and conformed into more of obedience to God until, Paul says, one day we shall be made like him, for we shall see him as he is. Is that your hope this, this morning? Is that your desire in life, to be like God? Now remember, that's what heaven's going to be, is to be like God. Do you see, beloved, that God had heaven here on earth in the garden? When God put Adam and Eve here, they had heaven on earth. And do you see that the new heaven and the new earth, so forth, is that this is what we are going to be restored to what the first Adam was, only even more, never again tempted and to fall. Now, if that's what you desire, how, are you, how can you gain victory in your daily life? Don't look for some quaint view on sanctification or think that there's going to be some rumbling in the sky or the ceiling and something's going to go all through you, and then therefore you'll never have any more problems and never have to sin anymore. No, the only way we become more and like, more like Jesus Christ is that as we study and as we meditate upon his lovely person, and as we see more of what he came to do on our behalf, that as we look in that mirror, we see a reflection. And that gives us a desire for more of Jesus. I met with some pastors one time, and they asked me, uh, they were discussing some of the needs of our churches today. And one of them said, well, I think that we need this. And another one said, no, I think we need more of this. And another one said, no, I think we need more of these things. So they said, uh, Brother Gables, what do you think we need? And I said three words, more about Jesus. I believe that would solve all of the problems that our modern churches are being confronted with, is more about Jesus would I know more of his love to others show. So don't think that you and I have obtained all there is to know about the lovely Lord. Get into the book and ask for the ministry of the Holy Spirit to show you more and more of that person and work so that you may see more and more of your need of him and go more and more afresh to the heavenly altar, Jesus himself, there in his lovely person, and embrace that person as a husband lovingly embraces his wife and that they share their love for each other under the holy commands of God. Go to that one who's there at the right hand of God, who has grace and who encourages people to come boldly before the throne of grace to find help in time of need. And you'll find it. It'll be there. Just when you think that there is no help coming, God will send afresh a new measure of grace. 
And just when you think that you can go no further and that all your sins are about to do you under, there will be new areas of victory revealed unto you through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Ask him to subdue that holy will. Subdue it unto God that you may be made like unto him. Beloved, don't go to any other place for holiness of life other than to the gospel. And don't think that the gospel was something that happened back here and it never occurs again. Jesus did save you here. But he also did not just come to forgive us of our sin. He came to give us power over our sin and to live for his honor and glory. And if you're having struggles in that area, as all true Christians will have, then we will not point you to something new, something that's questionable. We'll point you afresh to the gospel and say, look again there. Know more of him. Learn more of that work. And you'll find new rivers of water flowing out of your innermost being. Let's stand this morning.